You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We wrapped up our Sermon on the Mount series last week. Um, We did, I guess, six sermons in Matthew chapter 7. So if you think back over the past six weeks, kind of what we covered was that first section in Matthew 7, the aspects of uh, judging others and dealing with sin in our own life. Then we rolled into what it looks like to pray to a good God and receive good gifts from him, right? Then we talked about the golden rule, what it looks like to treat others the way that you wish to be treated. Then we talked about the narrow way, what it looks like to enter through the narrow, uh, the narrow gate and to be on that narrow path. Then we talked about uh, false teachers, false uh, professors, those who uh, claim to know Christ, but then ultimately are shown not to. Um, and then we looked at what it means to be a wise builder, what it looks like to establish a solid foundation. So we're going to recap uh, just a little bit uh, from the past six weeks, and then I want to cap it with um, some specific application, which I think is really timely for what we looked at last week. We talked about building a culture of obedience when it comes to what we hear from the Word, which is really what Application Sunday is all about, right? It's not uh, a chance for me to have a week off from preparation. It's a, it's a week for us to really dive back into what we've been hearing, hit the pause button in some ways, and make sure that we're doing something with it, right? I wish we could all have full bellies right now because we ate breakfast together, which is what we would do on an application Sunday, which is really more about the breakfast. It's about the fellowship that we create, giving you that extended time to just sit and talk with people that you don't always get a chance to. Hopefully that'll come back at some point down the road as part of what we do on application Sunday. But The other piece to it is looking back and making sure that we remember, we recall, and we do something with what we've heard. And so six weeks ago, we were talking about Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I want to read to you that section before we uh, talk a little bit about what we said that week. We says, Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with the judgment ye pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And so we said that Jesus calls us not to be judgmental, but doesn't command us to ignore sin in others. Instead, calling us to function like a surgeon rather than a judge who ensures personal health prior to helping others reach a healthy status too. So that lost people love to use this verse to combat Christians when they try to present the gospel, try to talk about sin, and try to call people to repentance, right? Your Bible teaches that you should not judge other people, right? And that's exactly what Jesus says, but he doesn't tell us to completely ignore the sin in others, right? He gives a, a quantifying clarification about what it means to not judge others. Don't judge others if you're not going to first deal with the sin in your own life, right? And so like a surgeon versus a judge, we are called to take care of ourselves, make sure that we are healthy, right? Surgeons right now go through a thorough medical check before they can come into the hospital. They have to be cleared of their own personal health to make sure that they are healthy so that they can then help other people, right? That's what Jesus is talking about, that we have to take care of ourselves, deal with sin in our own life so that we can then properly help encourage others to fight sin too. So Jesus goes to great lengths here to talk about how judging others without examining and correcting yourself is hypocritical. 
Judging others with the purposes of condemning them rather than helping them is unloving. Because what the Pharisees are guilty of, what the people that are hearing the sermon are guilty of, identifying sin in others, judging that sin, and condemning those people for the purposes of making themselves feel better about their own righteousness, right? And lest we become judgmental ourselves of the Pharisees, we are oftentimes very guilty of the same thing, right? We justify where we're at spiritually by comparing ourselves to others. We maximize what other people are doing. We minimize our own sin in our own life, right? And we become very hypocritical and very unloving in how we view other people and their sin. What we see clearly is that there is sin that needs to be addressed in our lives, and in the lives of others, right? Jesus is saying, there are logs in your eyes, there are specks in the eyes of others, and his desire is that both be removed, right? He doesn't want the log to stay. He's not telling the guy with the log, hey, go back home uh, and leave the guy with the speck alone, and y'all just be okay with pieces of wood in your eye, right? Like he says, go home, get that log out first so that you can then help, help this guy with the speck, right? So there's sin that needs to be dealt with both in our lives and in the lives of others. It's unloving to judge with the log, but it's also unloving to leave the speck, right? If we're, if we're not careful, we hear the message of the world, judge not, versus Jesus's message. And we think, okay, I'm just going to stay out of your business. I'll just stay over here, but not really even worry about my business, right? Like we'll just both be okay with sin. We'll just both be content with uh, not doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's not what Jesus is pushing for here. It's not what he's calling us to. He's telling us to be very intentional with our sin so that we can be very careful with the sin of others. So we need to avoid being prideful, which means not maximizing other people's sins, not minimizing ours. And we need to avoid being hypocritical, being content with our sin and outraged by the sin of others, right? So a lot of stuff going on there in verses one through six. Encourage you to go back and even reference some of those notes um, from that sermon. That pushes us into verse seven. So coming out of that judgment piece, we look at what it looked like to pray to a good father. It says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? We said that praying to a good father means if we believe that God our Father is responsive, good, and wise, we should be greatly motivated to come to him strategically, persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. Now, I told you that the Bible spends far more time dealing with God's goodness and God's awareness, like trying to prove that versus trying to prove God's existence, right? The Bible assumes God's existence, says only a fool believes that there is no God. God has been very clear in his revelation, though. He wants to reveal himself as a God who is active and aware of what's happening in his creation, not a disconnected God, not a God who got things started and then bailed out and is just watching from a great distance to see how creation unfolds. The Bible says God is active, knows inward and outward who we are, right? He's, he's, he's active in our life and he's good with those actions. And so Jesus appeals to us and says, ask your heavenly father, seek him and you will find these things. 
right? In context, it's, it's certainly playing out from what it looks like to seek and ask him for wisdom and discipline and direction in fighting our sin and helping others fight their sin, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. This isn't a full-on teaching on prayer. Um, it, it's a blip. It's a blurb that Jesus is communicating. So I think we have to look and see what's Jesus's main point. Um, I think what he wants us to see here is that prayer needs to be an important part of your life and that believing God answers prayer with his goodness is something that we need to believe in, All right? We've talked, we talked that week, if we're not careful, we become guilty of overemphasizing God's sovereignty to the point that we see no reason to pray, right? It's hard to say that you could overemphasize God's sovereignty, right? Um, but if it, if it cripples us into thinking that I have no need to pray because God's sovereign, God's in control, God's doing what he wants to do, then we've really missed the purpose of prayer, right? Jesus, Jesus demands that we, we are driven to praying to our Heavenly Father. Gives us guidance back in Matthew uh, 5 about how to, or uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 6 about how to pray, right? Models uh, a prayer to his disciples. Um, but the idea here is that we believe that God answers prayer, that he responds with goodness. We even talked about the fact that <clears throat> the fact that he's telling us to pray for things so that we can receive things from our good God implies that by not asking, there's certain things that we're not receiving, right? And so we're to come to him in faith. We're to come praying, believing that he will answer those prayers. We pray for these good things we need, not the worldly passions. James 4 talks about like, hey, you pray for those things, God's not gonna answer for those things. We pray for our spiritual needs, right? Carrying out his word in obedience. We pray expectantly and submissively with trust and contentment, realizing he may choose to answer our prayers differently than we expected, right? He may choose to give us things differently than how we would have envisioned him giving those things to us. So we pray uh, with trust, trusting that he's a good God, that he's not going to give us snakes and rocks, right? He's going to give us bread and fish. He knows the good things that we need better than we do, right? So we pray with trust and contentment towards him. We know from Romans eight thirty two that he desires to give us good things because he gave us his son, right? So he possesses all the power required to give us every good thing that we need, and we can trust him for that. So I challenge you that week application-wise to develop a prayer list that could be used for 2021, uh, a prayer list that's rooted in scripture, things that particularly we see in the Sermon on the Mount that you can be praying for God to do in your life and to pray expectantly for him to answer those things. That brings us to Matthew chapter 7, and we only looked at verse 12, the week that we looked at the golden rule. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We said that understanding the golden rule means to uh, trust your heavenly father to meet all of your needs in good ways. Then you can obediently live out the golden rule of doing the good to others that you desire to be done to you, whether you receive that same treatment or not. Remember we did our little activity. I did the same activity at Trinity when I was teaching on this in our chapel recently. Hey, tell me the golden rule, right? And everybody gets the middle part. Everybody gets the part that says, do to others that you'd have them do to you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. What we miss is that word so, that it takes us back to the prayer section, right? And we miss the law and the prophets, which really helps us to understand what's happening here. That we treat others the way that we wish to be treated, regardless if they ever treat us that way. Because God treats us that way, 
right? So we can be driven to treat others the way that we wish to be treated, whether we ever receive that treatment, because we just saw that God gives us the good treatment we desire. He always gives it to us, right? He's a good God who responds to our prayers and gives us good things. And so that so helps us to to be motivated to do good to others. And the law and the prophets is that piece where we see that it's an obedient thing to do, not something to get something in return. We don't do this to get the treatment we want. We do this because Jesus calls us to it. I told you that we need to be proactive versus reactive, right? So I've been challenging you, and I don't know how many of you have done this yet, but I've been challenging you to make your wish list for how you want to be treated by others, right? Be a, be a hearer of the word and a doer. We are to treat others the way that we wish to be treated. The only way we can do that is if we spend some time figuring out how do I wish to be treated? And then how do I go out and treat others that way? We're going to come back to that here in a minute when we get to the application piece. But if you haven't done that, you're not going to be able to faithfully carry out the application piece until you do. Because I believe we need to be waking up each and every morning with an understanding of how the people that we are going to interact with that day should be treated. How we wish they would treat us is the treatment they're going to receive from us. And if we start the day with that mindset, we're far more likely to carry it out versus trying to remember it reactively as our day starts to play out, right? So we treat others the way that we wish to be treated. We make a wish list. What are some ways that we want to be treated? Then we treat others according to that list. We're proactive with it. We do this out of obedience, not to be treated good because we trust God with the good treatment that we desire. That leads us into discussion on the narrow way that we see in verse 13. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We said that Jesus calls us to a path that's both exclusive and difficult, meaning there's only one way to find it, and most people don't. And once you find it, there are many hard decisions that flow from it but the path leads to life, both now and forever. Now, the big reminder for us is that we can't ever forget that Jesus is the only way to be saved, which motivates us to stay on that right path, that narrow path ourselves. And as we continue to grow and mature in our faith for our kids, as they continue to grow and mature, there are obviously temptations that come where God's goodness is, is drawn into um, a point of doubt for us potentially by the enemy, right? Circumstances, trials, temptations come our way. Satan continues to use the same ploy that he had in the Garden of Eden, right? God's not good. God's not in control. We have to fight against buying into that, right? We have to fight against buying into the fact that our God's not good. That's why the Bible's written to help us see that goodness of God, right? To see his goodness all the way through, through the lens of Jesus Christ being the greatest example of his goodness, to come and be the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice for us, right? We have to continue to cling to that, staying on the right path. Now, going back to that judgmental piece, oftentimes we're guilty of making the narrow path more narrow for people that we're judgmental towards, right? They can't be a Christian. They can't possibly be saved because look what they're doing, right? Um, and sometimes that's true, right? Because we'll know them by their fruit and we'll, we'll, we'll know whether we're Christians or not by the obedience that we exhibit. But sometimes we're guilty of making it too narrow from a judgmental standpoint. And then honestly, sometimes we're way too guilty of making it wide for people that we love and care about. 
We're not really sure where they're at spiritually, but we certainly don't want to think of the implications of what that might would mean if they're not okay spiritually. And so we, we widen it and we start to talk about some of the things that we see in their life. Maybe that means they're a Christian, right? And I, and I challenged you. I said, man, let's just get right to the chase and have those conversations now, right? Before the funeral, right? We don't want to be talking about individuals at a funeral. Were they saved? Were they not saved? What did we see from their life? I don't know. It's hard to say. Let's, let's make that road wide so we feel better when we leave, right? Have the conversation now. Individuals that come to your mind in your life that you're like, I don't know if they're on that narrow path or not. Talk to them about it now because Jesus says it's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to be saved. And he reminds us once we step onto this path, it's not always easy, right? It's not always uh, easy. In fact, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard to make decisions that go against the majority, right? I challenged you this week to avoid living a life that looks like the majority. Um, we even said that the appeal of the wide, wide, wide road is great, right? Psalm 73 talks about the wide road being very appealing, that people that are on the wide road try to entice you to come on the wide road. But we said Psalm 73, 28 ends with the psalmist realizing, I don't need those things on the wide path. I'm very content with God's presence in my life. His presence, Psalm 73, 28, his presence is my good. His presence is my good. Looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We said that genuine believers remain on the narrow path by identifying the right teachers to listen to and by focusing on the right commands to obey. There's a command here to listen to the right people, to evaluate them on doctrine and behavior, to check their fruit, right? We can't put ourselves under people who teaching does not align with the gospel that salvation is by grace through faith alone. If it's an individual who adds or subtracts, right, adds to the Bible, subtracts from the, the personhood, the deity of Christ, who multiplies the expectations of salvation or divides the church with uh, a divisive spirit, these are individuals we have to stay away from. The practical test is, are they antinomians or legalists? Do they, do they minimize the, the expectations of God or do they add to those expectations of God? How do they live their life? We said that people that we want to listen to should be people known for humility, purity, and generosity. It's people who know how to handle power, pleasure, and money. They don't abuse those things. Right? It's the ways that we see Christians, particularly Christian leaders, fall all the time. They fall in the area of power, pleasure, and money. We want to make sure that we're listening to the right people. We want to be known for our humble obedience to the clear commands in Scripture. We see here these individuals who claim these charismatic-type giftings as a badge of honor that they should be allowed into heaven, that they should be entering into the kingdom. And Jesus says, I never knew you never knew you. 
And we were reminded of that this weekend at our leadership retreat. We, we show up, we register, we're like, hey, we're here with our church group. Um, little did we know there was another church group at the hotel, right? And, and we find out, like, while we're there, as we start to hear this worship service taking place, like, it's, it's unlike anything that I've really ever heard before. And I can hear Tyson doing some digging on the internet about their website, their doctrine, right? And, and I can hear what's going on in this room, and I can't help but think this, this may be who Jesus is talking about here, right? The, the, the type of things that were happening in that room, they're, they're different. They're, they're, they're a deviation from, from, what, from what I see in Scripture. And, and it doesn't take long to see from their website and their doctrine, their presentation, I don't think we're following the same Jesus, right? I don't think we're following the same Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we can get confused and uncertain about like, what, what, are, what are some of these things that I see in scripture? And then some of these accounts that I hear, I've, I've told you guys before, I'm, I'm an o- open but cautious type of guy when it comes to these things. And you could probably tack on uh, kind of a cracked open and really, really cautious view about some of these things. Um, what, what I'm encouraged by from this passage right here is that these aren't clear signs that somebody's a believer, which means if they're not in your life, we don't have to question and wonder, am I a believer or not, right? The things that we want to be involved in that really show us to be sheep are what we find in Matthew 25, right? When Jesus shows up and says, you people who have been taking care of people, right? Feeding the hungry, visiting the poor, uh, taking care of the people in jail, like these are the individuals who have shown themselves to be my followers. These are the clear types of activities that are following through on the obedience of what Jesus has called to. These individuals claim these giftings, And Jesus says, I never knew you. False professors versus genuine professors. Be known for your humble obedience to the clear commands in Scripture. And then last week we capped it with Matthew 24, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We talked about the foundation of a house, right? And we said a foundation of a house will prove its validity, will prove its strength, when it encounters uh, a long period of time, the longevity piece, and it will show its validity when it's hit by tragedy, right? When, When time and water are applied to a foundation, we really see if the builder got it right or not, right? Sometimes you don't see it until years pass and the house settles and you really begin to see. And I told you about the house that we looked at and how in love I was with it. And I had to convince myself to fall out of love with it when I looked at the foundation, right? Because I even wanted to try to justify that we could fix the foundation. Um, but when you stand in the kitchen and you're looking at the door that comes into the kitchen and the, the top of the door is like this, it's like, I just don't know if this is a safe place for my kids to grow up, right? We got we to look somewhere else. The foundation over time has shown itself to be unstable. The foundation that Jesus is talking about, summarizing everything that we've talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, The foundation one, the foolish man's foundation, is based on outward conformity, personal glory, and reduced expectations for obedience. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of. 
They were all about the outward conformity. Look how I pray. Look how I give. Look how I fast, right? I want glory for that. And then don't look too closely at my adultery because I've tried to finagle it to where I can do what I want to do without being guilty of it. Don't look too close at my marriage. Don't look too close at the oaths that I make, the word that I try to express. Like, don't look too closely at those things. Look more at how I pray, how I give, how I do some of this outward stuff, right? It's all about outward conformity. It's all about personal glory. It's about reducing expectations to make them manageable for the pleasures that you really want to seek. Jesus talks about the wise man's foundation. It's about inward submission. It's about God's glory. It's about complete commitment to obedience. It's about being intentional to hear the word and then do the word. We talked about last week, hearing the word involves being intentional in our own personal study time. It involves being around others to where we can learn from each other and exhort one another, right? We talked about how we can do that here at this church through our D groups and our C groups, right? We want that. We need that time to be around each other to encourage one another. And then we also need that corporate time where we submit ourselves to church leadership that can teach us from God's word. The caveat, that is we need to evaluate all of those things, though, by God's word. Evaluate our own personal study time. Make sure that we're learning correct, true things, right? We evaluate the people that we spend time learning God's word from, and then we obviously evaluate our pastors, our teachers, to make sure that they are consistent with God's word so that we can hear it and so that we can do it. I want to give you a couple things to remember, a couple things to do, and then I want us to go over our application from last week, which was to try to work through and develop a Ten Commandments from the Sermon on the Mount, points that you're going to take with you and seek to obey, right? To be faithful, to be a wise builder who hears the word and does it, okay? So summary of what I want you to remember from Matthew chapter 7 is that I need to be intentional with my treatment of sin, my treatment of others, my treatment of influencers, and my treatment of truth. And we need to be intentional with the treatment of sin or intentional with our treatment of sin. Our sin and the sins of others. We're not going to be judgmental. Instead, we're going to be helpful. We're going to take care of ourselves so that we're obedient. And then we're going to be one step further than that, helping other people come to that realization too. Intentional with my treatment of sin. Intentional with my treatment of others right? Because I'm going to make a wish list of how I wish to be treated so that I can then treat others the way that I wish they would treat me. I'm not going to just leave it up to chance. I'm not going to just be reactive. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to be intentional with how I treat other people. I'm going to be intentional with my treatment of influencers. I'm going to evaluate the people that I let influence me. I'm going to evaluate the people that I allow to teach me. I'm going to make sure that it measures with God's word, right? And then I'm going to be intentional with my treatment of the truth. I'm not going to just hear it I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to be obedient to it. All right, so that's what I want you to remember. What I want you to do with it is, number one, to pursue accountability so you can confess your own sin and exhort others. And to find relationships, whether it's in this church or with connections outside of this church, but individuals that can help hold you accountable to the the log in your eye. Because sometimes we don't see the log in our eye, and and it's more than a speck, right? But to, to pursue relationships whether that flows out of your C group and D group or whether you have a different outlet 
to pursue accountability so you can confess your own sin and exhort others. Like you need to be used by God to help encourage others in their own walk in life. Number two, to start each day with a plan for how you will treat who you will see. And just imagine how different your day would look if you paused, got up a little bit earlier that day, right? Thought through, what's my schedule? What's my calendar today? Who am I going to see today? Which family members, which coworkers, which neighbors, which church family members? Like, who am I going to see today? What are we going to be doing? And how do I want them to treat me so that I can then treat them? And this is applicable no matter how old you are, right? So our kids that are listening right now, how are you going to treat your classmates at school? Right? How are you going to treat your teacher at school? If we, if we could just pause and, and, and say, okay, I'm going to plan my day before I start living out my day. How am I going to treat these individuals? How am I going to be intentional? Man, all of a sudden we become really salty and really bright in response to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, to be salt and to be light. Start each day with a plan for how you'll treat who you will see that day. Number three, get validation from mature believers about who is influencing you most. Right? You don't have to run every article or every single book that you read by somebody. But man, if you start to, to see that somebody's got influence over your life, right? You, you started to listen to a pastor or a teacher who you're like, man, you know what? I want to start listening to this guy's podcast or I want to start reading more books by this guy. But maybe there's something that you're just not quite sure about. You've never heard this guy mentioned before. Or you've never seen something from him before to be willing to step out and say, hey, let me ask somebody else for some guidance to make sure that this is a good influencer, right? Somebody that can really help me uh, navigate and, and evaluate and assess whether this is somebody that I should listen to or not. And then number four, create a system for how you will carry out what you are learning. Create a system for how you will carry out what you were learning. If you're not careful, we just forget the things that we're hearing on a Sunday. We forget the things that we're learning. And your system may look different than my system. I'm going to tell you, as I study and, and learn, I, I, I seek every Sunday to try to find ways to have that become a natural part of my life moving forward. Um, and not everything sticks the way that I want it to, but the more I think about it, the more I meditate on it, the more I focus on it, the more likely I continue to think about those things weeks down the road. I'm going to tell you, I've, I've taught you guys about the golden rule. I've retaught that to my staff. I've retaught it to our students. Like that's an area where like it's really ingrained in my mind right now when I wake up and start a day to think about how I want to treat other people. But it's taken additional time meditating on that versus just hearing it on a Sunday morning for it to start to take root in my life and really become something that I'm trying to live out. So there's got to be some type of system that you have in place where you're regularly reviewing, journaling, writing application sentences, you know, uh, enlisting the help of accountability partners, something that, that guarantees that you're going to do something with what you're hearing and not just allow it to pass through your ears and, and be done with it, Okay. Those are some things that I'd like for you to ponder and consider doing in response to what we've heard over the last six weeks. To pursue accountability so you can um, confess your own sin and exhort others. Start each day with a plan for how you will treat those you will see that day. Get validation from mature believers about who's influencing you most. And create a system for how you will carry out what you are learning. Um, this is consistent with what I wanted you to remember, right? Um, 
to be intentional with our treatment of sin, others, influencers, and truth. All right. Now, let's look at our Ten Commandments of the Sermon on the Mount. There is no right or wrong here, right? Because how many of you were looking through it and you're like, man, there's, there's, there's probably a lot more than ten here, right? That's why you have to get really good at summarizing, right? You have to, you have to combine some things to make it, like, easier to remember, right? So I kind of worked through this again this morning, was jotting down some things that I want to uh, have as a resource to go back to, right? We're not going to have time to go back and listen to all the sermons from the Sermon on the Mount, right? But if you were to just take these 10, uh, take the 10 that you've written, right? This gives you a quick summary to go back to, to say, okay, I don't want to forget that season of life when we were going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here's some things that I need to go back to regularly to make sure that I'm doing, okay? So if you wrote down your 10 and you brought them with you today, kind of have those in front of you, feel free to add to those. Again, I'm not giving you the right answers today. These are just things that, that I really... Uh, am convicted by myself as I work back through it, things that I want to um, make sure that I'm doing as I try to be a wise man who builds my foundation on being a hearer and a doer of the word, right? Um, Number one would be bring charity and clarity to all of your environments, regardless of persecution, right? So you go back to Matthew 5, you've got the the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are um, capped with that idea of being salt and light, Right? You go back and think through the Beatitudes. They're a great summary of what it looks like to be salt and light. To live in such a way where you're humble, you're a peacemaker, right? Um, you're, you're, bringing, uh, you're bringing your environment up to a, a better situation, right? We talked about salt makes the environment better, but we don't want to just be people who treat people better and, and do good things, and there's no clarity about why we do those things. The light piece is that we take it beyond just being a good coworker or being a good spouse or being a good parent who does good things. The light piece is, this is why I do this, right? Because I want to point you to the glory of God, right? Not the glory of me. If we become just good coworkers to the point that our coworkers are just so impressed with us, we failed at being salt and light. We may have been salt, but we certainly weren't light. We didn't bring the clarity piece, right? So uh, as I leave this study, I want to be able to go back to the fact that I want to bring clarity and charity to all my environments, my home, my workplace, my neighborhood, everywhere I find myself, I want to be salt and light. And I want to keep being salty and bright regardless of the persecution because Jesus promises you do right and you're going to be persecuted for it, just like the prophets were, right? So bring clarity and charity to your environments. Number two, kill your anger instead of hurting other people, right? Kill your anger versus hurting other people. And so Jesus talks about how the people had heard that it was said to not murder, but they were excusing themselves from hanging on to anger and having vengeance and bitterness and um, ill will towards each other, right? They weren't killing each other, but they were certainly hurting each other and hurting themselves. And he talks about releasing that anger and, and, and finding forgiveness and, and being a pursuer, being a peacemaker of finding forgiveness and restoration with relationships. And so we kill our anger instead of hurting other people. It's not just about not murdering. It's about doing something different with that anger, right? Doing something different with it. Number two, fight for purity in every relationship that you have. Fight for purity in every relationship you have. 
Jesus talks about the lust problem and how we deal extremely with the lust problem and that that ought to translate into staying within our marriages versus separating in our marriages, right? Um, Fight for purity in every relationship that you have. Number four, be a person who keeps their word. Right? Jesus talks about not being an individual who makes oaths and swears and promises and then doesn't follow through with those things, that we ought to be individuals who keep our yeses and keep our noes, people that can be relied upon, somebody that can be counted upon. Remember, as image bearers, we are trying to image who God is. Right? As parents, the more we remain committed to our word, the better we image the father that we're trying to point our kids to. Right? We keep our word. We honor the things that we say. Number five, we love and serve our enemies instead of getting revenge against them. Love and serve your enemies instead of getting revenge against them. It's hard to do. And it's something that the world easily justifies. If you're not careful, you surround yourself with people that encourage you to retaliate, encourage you to fight back, encourage you to seek vengeance. It's contrary to what Jesus calls us to at the end of Matthew 5. Matthew, or number 6. And if you want these notes, they're always available in our shared Google Drive folder. Um, We can get that link to you because we don't have bulletins right now, and that's normally where you'd have the the QR code. But um, I think you can get it on the Realm. When Dave posts the podcast, you can always access our notes and go back and look at old notes. Um, Number 6. Do what is right without the need for applause and recognition. Remember Adam McLeod taught us when he was looking at the, uh, the giving and the fasting and the praying that if we're not careful, we'd become like a professional athlete right now that needs the cardboard people in the stands and needs the pumped in uh, applause from the sound system to perform because we're not used to performing without the applause, right? These, these football players can't do it unless they hear clapping and yelling and screaming and hoopla. They just, they can't perform at the same level. We don't need to be Christians who can only perform at a certain level if we're getting the glory for it, right? We can do it without the recognition. We can do it because Jesus has called us to do it. We can do it in secret. We can give without everybody having to know what we gave. We can pray without having to impress people with our words, right? We can fast without drawing attention to our sacrifices. Do what's right without the need for applause and recognition. Number seven, be more focused on eternal things and less anxious about earthly things. Be more focused on eternal things, less anxious about earthly things. Talked about our treasures and where our heart is and the anxiousness that can be released in us when we trust our good God. Right? We don't have to be anxious about how we're going to be provided for. We can trust God with those provisions. Number eight, deal with sin in your life so you can help deal with sin in others. It's not wrong to be involved in the lives of others in regards to their sin. It's wrong to be judgmental without dealing with sin in your own life too. Deal with sin in your life so you can help deal with sin in others. Number nine, treat others how you wish to be treated without contingencies. We don't treat them like this until we realize they're not going to treat us that way back and then we stop, right? We treat others how we wish to be treated regardless of how they treat us. No contingencies on it. And then number 10, stay on the narrow path by obeying the word and avoiding false teachers. 
I have no doubt you guys probably had some other things that, that certainly could be added to that list. It's hard to try to narrow three chapters down to 10 action points. Um, but I wanted to try to give myself something to refer back to, like I said, and then also challenge you. Um, and hopefully some of you accepted that challenge and did some of that this week, but don't fret if you didn't get to it. Here's a starting point, but you can go back and tweak this for yourself. These are in my words, in, in, in ways that I understand, and ways that I'll remember. You got to do what works for you to, to take what you've heard and to make sure that it sticks, not just here in memory format, but in action format, right? So I challenge you again with this activity to go back and try to make 10 action points that you can hold yourself to as a point of growth, as a point of action, as a point of trying to be a wise individual who builds a foundation on being obedient to what they've heard. We're going to close um, in a time of worship through the Lord's Supper, which is what we always like to do on our application Sunday, because not only are we testifying today that we want to be doers of the word, not hearers only, um, we are once again, uh, by doing that, testifying that we are still all in with Christ and him being our source of salvation. Um, and so we participate in the Lord's Supper as an ongoing ordinance here at our church, as a way for us to publicly uh, profess what has already been uh, publicly professed through baptism, that we have trusted in Christ for our salvation, that it's through his life, his death, his resurrection, that we have been set free. Um, we were blessed to do a baptism recently. I told you that um, it'd take a long time if we tried to baptize everybody uh, today, right? And so the Lord graciously gave us a different way of, of celebrating some of the same things. And so by partaking of the bread, which is on our little Amazon uh, convenient thing for COVID season, uh, by partaking of the bread and the juice, uh, those things represent the body and the blood of Christ, that perfect life, that sacrificial death, uh, the foundation of our salvation, that it's all about Jesus, that it's not about our righteousness, not about our good works. So all this talk about obedience today has nothing to do with, with saving us. All this talk about obedience today is us living out our salvation, right? And so we invite you to partake today, uh, whether you're a member of our church or not, we invite you to partake today if you're a believer. Um, we do believe that this is an activity um, that Jesus gives to believers because of what it represents. And so we encourage you to use it as a teaching point for your kids who aren't yet believers, um, to use this as an opportunity to expound upon things that they're already hearing at home from you about why they're not going to partake today because they haven't made that confession of faith yet. Um, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's instructions to the church about the Lord's Supper. It says in verse 23 of 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so by partaking of today, we are not doing something to save us. Right? I always want to be clear especially as visitors come, I want to be clear about what we believe about this. This is not a way to be saved. This doesn't keep us saved. This is a, a public profession of what has already happened in our life. We've already given our life to Christ. We've already accepted his work. We've already trusted in that. By participating in this, we are drawing to remembrance. We're reminding ourselves of that commitment that we've already made. 
right? And we are worshiping once again publicly by doing this together, um, that there's unity, that we're all saved the same way, right? We all come from different backgrounds. We look different. We talk different. We, um, we have different jobs, different family situations, right? And, and our past all looks different as well. Things we've been involved in, things that we've done good, things we've done bad. The unifying thing is that we're all saved the same way. We all enter this path the same way through the same narrow gate through the work of Jesus Christ. So we invite you to partake today. I'm going to pray for us, give you some time to reflect, to pray individually, to worship. Tyson's going to lead us in a song after a time um, of meditation. If you didn't pick up um, your little juice cup and your little bread, we do have some outside on the table. Hopefully everybody grabbed one on the way in. But you partake um, as you're led, and then we'll sing and worship together as we get ready to leave. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the goodness that you have shown us through your word. Thank you for revealing that to us. God, I pray that our trust would increase in you. Not just in your existence, but your goodness. God, we want to come to you confidently praying and knowing that we can trust you for only good things. And when we don't receive the things that we ask for, God, help us to realize you're not going to give us a snake. You're not going to give us a stone. Help us to realize that sometimes we think we're asking for good things and they're not good things. And we thank you for the wisdom that you possess to know the difference between good things and not good things. God, I pray that you would spur us on in our sanctification to hear what we've heard today, but then to leave desiring to do those things, to be obedient to you, not for showy and personal glory purposes, but to be obedient to you for you to receive the glory, for others to see our good works and to give glory to our Father in heaven. Father, I pray that we would have an intentional mindset to deal with sin in our life so that we can help others, to treat others the way that we wish to be treated. And God, help us to realize that these things are possible because you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit. You've saved us from darkness. You've allowed us entrance into your light. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you that we can celebrate that today through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. God, I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup that we would, we would remember the salvation that you've given to us. We would remember the life, death, and resurrection. But God, as Paul commanded the church, help us to also remember that we do this in anticipation of you coming again. Lord, help us to realize that could be today, tomorrow. God, help us to live with a mindset on eternal things. Help us to trust you with the earthly things and not be anxious. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.